I had the opportunity to record this episode live at the Academy of Architecture for Justice Conference. Sitting with me was Eric Davis, Deputy Director of Capital Planning and Policy for Cook County, Illinois. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Eric, thank you for joining me today. We are here at the Academy of Architecture for Justice Conference in Austin, Texas, and it's really good to actually meet you in person. Uh, so yeah, thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to me. Well, thank you. And it is nice to see you in person instead of the Brady Bunch view from a Zoom call. So <laughs> that's definitely nice. And congratulations again on the new addition to your family. Thank you. That's, uh, uh, very important. Yes, and that is why I have not had a podcast episode come out in a while, so thank you for understanding. But we had spoken about, gosh, almost a year ago now about doing a podcast episode, and uh, you are, if you could just actually say your name and your title. Sure. My name is Eric Davis. I am the Deputy Director of the Department of Capital Planning and Policy for Cook County, Illinois, which is the county of Chicago. Yeah, thank you very much. We had discussed having a conversation about what is going on in Cook County and what it is like from the owner side to procure projects and to realize whatever, you know, and to realize the vision of, um, of a jurisdiction to bring architects and other experts on board to realize that vision. And so maybe we'll touch on that a little bit now. Um, I kind of also wanted to riff on just your experience here at the, at the conference, but First and foremost, I'll start by asking, tell me a little bit about what you do in Cook County. Okay. Uh, First, I should mention I am a licensed architect. Uh, We were talking earlier, I've been licensed for over 30 years. Um, I've been with Cook County for five years. Prior to that, 20 years practiced in private practice in a variety of firms, almost exclusively doing projects for public agencies. And then another five years before that, I was working for another, for another public agency in the Chicago Park District. Um, Our department, um, it does handles the design and construction for the uh, all the properties of Cook County. The county owns approximately 19 million square feet, uh, organized in three portfolios: um, health and hospitals, public safety, and uh, our corporate portfolio. Out of that 19 million, 11 million of it is in our public safety portfolio, and that's the portfolio that I oversee. So I oversee uh, a dozen courthouses in a variety of shapes and sizes and locations, um, along with the famous or infamous Cook County Jail, um, which itself is about five million square feet. Um, Our department um, uh, has professionals on staff who provide uh, leadership for for projects, um, and we also have consultant teams that help us manage those, and we hire, my department hires uh, architects and contractors to deliver the projects. Our department has around, uh, in the 250 to 200, some cases $90 million a year um, annual capital budget. Um, our capital budget is, is um, funded by municipal bonds. County has, thanks to Board President Preckwinkle, has an excellent bond rating. Um, and so we del- end up delivering a, a capital approval plan of anywhere from three to 500 projects uh, a year. Um, and so the vast majority of those are um, renovations to existing facilities or in most cases upgrades. And that's where things like this conference um, are particularly helpful because as we, um, certainly in public safety, try to reimagine our facilities and make them better, um, having access to best practices, having perspectives of different parts of the country, having access to different users, like the the judge who spoke to us this morning about the court here in Austin, 
um, you know, helps me as the leader on that portfolio to evaluate, prioritize, uh, and, and enhance uh, those various projects you know, that we do. And so um, a lot of my job is um, setting the terms for various projects, uh, as well as um, leading our efforts with procurement um, and, and you know, those kinds of things to, to get the projects delivered. And then our project directors um, actually oversee and deliver the projects individually. But um, I, I write a lot of RFQs. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, very much involved in that side of thing. A lot of budget work. No, they don't teach budget work in architecture school. They probably should. <laughs> um, and uh, so I spend a fair amount of time in that, in that world, the financial side as, as well. Um, our challenge is, is getting things to market. Um, we don't, as I said, the county has an excellent bond rating. Um, we have some very dedicated people. We, we get challenged sometimes getting things through the system out to the street and, and, and executed. So um, we, we have a, a great team. Uh, and our leadership team at the, the department sits in something called the Bureau of Asset Management. So mm -hmm. we have real estate, capital planning, which I'm part of, and facilities management. And so it's sort of the full life cycle of buildings in our in our bureau. And we, we really take that sort of holistic approach um, to the projects that we deliver. Tell me the process of realizing the conception of a project. So let me uh, clarify. There are people in Cook County who are working in your facilities every day and there are always needs. So how does something go, how does a project or a perceived project go from a psychologist like we heard speak yesterday, talk about how she <clears throat> would like to see X, Y, or Z project happen to that then going to you in capital planning and then that sure. becoming something that hits the street sure. as an RFP? So there are three main ways that um, projects get established or created. Um, first and foremost is from our user agencies. We are a service bureau. Our job is we don't we don't um, govern. We don't deliver the functions directly to the citizens. We create the space for our user agencies to deliver those services to the citizens. Um, we have an entire system set up for what, what we call business cases. So each year we have an annual cycle, and our users will uh, go into our online system and tell us what it is that they need and why they need it. Um, and so then that material comes in and our our teams uh, creating the plan evaluate those. Um, they usually don't know much about how things cost, for example, so we have to start to try to put costs on things, and we do that. So that's one source of potential projects for what we do every year. The second source is, is our bureau ourselves, whether that's our folks in capital planning say, hey, you know, we really need this, or our facilities management people say, you know, we'll identify a need. We need to upgrade the lighting system in this building. That's not necessarily something a user is going to say, but it's also a need for a project. So that's a second way. A third way, which doesn't happen all that often, is um, regulatory needs. If there are law changes or things like that. Most recently, for example, the, the county adopted a policy of providing gender-neutral toilet facilities. That became a uh, resolution of the board. And so, okay, we need to find a way and come up with a plan and report out and say, you know, how are we going to respond to that? Or, you know, a few years ago, they had an update to the ADA. You have to, okay, now we have to do these other things. <clears throat> so, you know, there's some regulatory things. Um, back in the middle part of the last decade, um, the jail had uh, someone on site from the U.S. Department of Justice, and they had a special master on site because there were a series of issues with uh, uh, accessibility. And they were there for five years. Um, they developed a series of things that they needed to be done, and so then it was our department's job. I wasn't there at the time. It was our department's job to implement those. 
but most of it comes from the users. Some of them come from us and the Bureau, and a very few come from sort of regulatory requirements. So um, to use your example, the, the psychologist, the sheriff, came to us and said, uh, that their representatives said, you know, we want to do, um, you know, we want to do enhanced visitation as a facility, and we also want to do this um, a community resource center. Well, okay, what does that mean? Well, we kind of have a program we don't know. So we'll get the basic request, and then we'll sit down with them if, once it's approved and clarify it there more, dig down a little bit deeper, what's the project going to be like? Then once that's passed by the Board of Commissioners, then we convene the various stakeholders and pull things together and make it into a project. Similarly, we're doing um, a redefinition of the court's uh, system for um, AV and IT. That originally came from the state's attorney mm -hmm. side, um, but the courts are run by the Office of the Chief Judge. So we convened a group with the Office of the Chief Judge, the state's attorney, the public defender, the sheriff, the uh, clerk of the circuit court to say, we want to redo and upgrade the AV system. What does that look like? <clears throat> Got a rough idea, made a business case, it was approved. Now we are in the process right now, ready RFQ to go out to hire somebody to help us articulate that and change it into biddable documents for the industry. So that arose from one user. We recognized who needed to be involved. We, we put a name to it, we put some dollars to it, we put a schedule to it and, and turned it into a project. So you said that the regulatory needs is actually something that happens less often. And I find that curious because in a lot of projects that I know I've worked on, you know, there's always ADA issues and there are also um, things like consent decrees. I don't know if that falls under the purview of, you know, of well, that was sort of that was the, the DOJ was, uh, it was and there was okay. consent decree about how to address that. Yeah, right. So that and those cool. don't that, always and that's been vacated. So we're done okay. with that. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. It um, took a long time. It's a lot of work, but, yeah. you know, good outcomes in the yeah. end. But you were talking about regu regulatory and the ADA. I mean, so that's one. So, so the DOJ came up with spot improvements that they felt needed to be done. But we quickly recognized that there were other buildings. I mean, the jail has 60 buildings. So we quickly recognized there were other areas that were not included. And so what we've done is we've embarked on a program to assess the entire justice portfolio. So the entire jail and 12 courthouses are now, actually we have one more to go out on the street, the other ones have already been submitted and we're gonna be bringing consultants in to assess and identify the upgrades that are necessary for accessibility across all 11 million square feet in the portfolio. You know, that's a lot. Now, in numeric terms, it's really only one piece of legislation, right? It's really the ADA and it's, and it's, and it's concomitant um, laws, this, the Illinois Accessibility Code, City of Chicago, that kind of thing. But, uh, but that's one where we recognize that there, that was one that started as regulatory and we recognized there was a greater need, the department did, and so we broadened it into that sort of systemic uh, assessment. Um, you know, the buildings, almost without exception, were um, compliant with the laws when they were built, but that doesn't fulfill the needs that our users have today. And so we're doing upgrades that in some cases are above and beyond. It's not one of the things here at the conference said all that you're doing by complying with code is building the worst building that you're legally allowed to build. Well, we don't want to do just that. We want to go above and beyond that. So that's Absolutely. part of why we're doing it. Yeah, and that's why you're here at this conference, to see what's happening. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So you put out an RFQ or an RFP. You select subject matter experts, architects, to start to realize this project. 
To what extent are you involved after the fact? Are you involved in those user group meetings? To what extent is the divisional, Division of Capital Planning involved in the day-to-day -day process of planning a facility and oh, eventually building that? Well, that, and that's the difference, and we talked about this earlier. Um, you know, I'm what's called in the industry owner side. Yep. So we're absolutely involved every step of the way because, quite frankly, they're spending taxpayer money that we've been charged with managing. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, we're absolutely involved in it. Now, in my case, just because of what I do and what I have done in that, I, if there's any kind of you know new construction project or any significant renovation, I'm going to be involved in most of those meetings anyway. Um, whether it's strategic plan meetings or um, conceptual meetings, everything from basic layouts through system decisions. Um, I would say another, and that reminds me, another another motivation that's driving a lot of what we do is um, sustainability and resilience. Um, the the county has a separate energy manager. Uh, a great guy, Jamie Myers, who is, comes to us from Walgreens. He had previously created a, a, a net zero energy Walgreens drugstore. Um, very innovative guy and um, is, 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 has his hands in pretty much anything having to do with the usage of, of resources, whether it's water or energy or whatever. Um, so that, that is a layer that cuts across a lot of our projects and Jamie gets involved in all kinds of other other projects as well. And then we have projects that are specifically his. You know, we're doing solar all over the place. Um, geothermal at the at 26th Street. And, and so we've got a lot of that kind of stuff going on as well. And then resilience, um, particularly because some of our projects, we've tended to do projects that are funded by the county. We're doing more that are having um, federal funding participation. And the federal funding comes with it um, some, sometimes comes with requirements for resiliency. In other words, the federal government doesn't want us to build something that's going to readily get destroyed. So, you know, no building in floodplains, uh, no building in, in places that are, you know, subject to A, B, or C, you know, uh, natural disasters or, or overt acts by people who want to cause harm. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that our buildings are resilient in that regard. We have a lot of stuff that is security-related uh, as well, um, in part so that the buildings can, you know, withstand you know, the challenges that I think are reasonable to, to foresee. So that's another layer on top. But yeah, I end up, I end up driving pretty much anything of any size in that portfolio I'm going to be pretty directly involved in. Part of why I wanted to ask that question is because I want to emphasize and show just how involved community jurisdictions are, you know, that government jurisdictions are in the planning of these facilities and the determination of need mm -hmm. for these facilities, right. because I think sometimes there's a perception that maybe architects on the outside are trying to drive this much more for their own profit. That's not necessarily the case. There are always bad seeds, but that in the process of conceiving of a project, there is an assessment from the jurisdiction that there is a need for this project. Yeah. Now, how do you, on the owner side, or do you have direct community engagement with community-based stakeholders, community-based organizations, or nonprofit organizations? What is your level of, of interaction with those groups, and how do you integrate that into the proposals or the request for qualifications that you create? So there are two main ways that those kinds of involvements happen. One is I would say systemic, and the other is more specific. So the county is undertaking, and we're in the second year of a court utilization study that's driven by the Office of the Chief Judge in partnership with uh, the Bureau of Asset Management. We've enlisted the National Center for State Courts to look at our whole court system 
and we've done the criminal side already. We've taken some inputs from some advocacy groups in that as well. Um, we're doing the, the, the non-criminal side. And so we'll be working with the private bar organizations, for example, as well. Um, now, the courts are driven by the judge, and so we have to follow the judge's lead. But there's, he very much has a desire to um, take the input from, you know, from people truly impacted. And so following his direction, we will be engaging with civic groups, like I said, private bar associations, advocacy groups, that kind of thing. Um, so that's at a, at a you know, sort of systemic level. And we're doing that also, um, well, we're going to be doing it um, in connection with um, a desire to bring justice, capital J, to people where they are. Um, there's a large initiative. The Cook County Board has funded something called the Equity Fund, $120 million, um, to look at how county expenditures in support of people's needs can be delivered more equitably. It's not necessarily all about the big courthouse building with columns in front. It maybe is about a place where somebody can walk in and get services, you know, at a local level. Um, so our Justice Advisory Council, which is a part of the Office of the President, is working with community groups right now, identifying stakeholders, identifying groups that need to be, you know, part of this conversation, and convening that and, and, and answering the, the who questions and the why questions, and then when they get to the where and the what questions, they come to us and say, okay, this is a, a strategy that's been developed very much um, from a, a consultation with impacted neighborhoods. Um, here's the kinds of things that we think we need to do, and then here's where we need a footprint in the communities for um, these different kinds of functions. Now let's go ahead and talk about what they are. So we won't write that RFQ per se. Um, well, actually we will. But we will, we will, the, the program and the, mes the message and the, and the scope of work comes out of a process that is very much community focused. Um, but that's not going to happen. That's the, the, the JSE work is happening right now. Um, we won't be getting to um, the translation in physical form probably for another, I mean, maybe toward the end of 23, um, but uh, that'll be for some time. Um, and so, but that's, that's, a, that's not an architect-driven process. That is very much a, uh, as I said, capital J justice and sort of community-based process that we're then um, facilitating. So, and, and, we'll, and we'll continue that thought. When we get to design, we will have the representatives of the groups involved with the designers so that they can hear it from the horse's mouth and not just from us um, to make those things uh, into a, you know, concrete or hopefully not concrete, concrete. But um, more approachable forms. So, so for a little bit of context for those who are listening, a lot of conversations happen around in the master planning effort centralization of services and decentralization of services, and how we can both provide services efficiently, safely, and effectively. I whether that means that be in a centralized building or if we do things in a more a decentralized way by bringing things to the neighborhoods uh, and it's not necessarily an either or even though it might sound a little bit that way um, but but it's a very important conversation because it impacts everything from the, the capital plan to staffing to operations to access to tr public transportation and so these are all questions that the that the owner and the planning team come together and, and, and try to solve early on mm -hmm. and so 
you know, what we see, we see the borough-based jails, for example, that project, we're seeing a huge decentralization from Rikers Island, bringing incarcerated individuals to their communities. There's a big movement nationwide on the probation side of decentralizing probation services and offering those more at the neighborhood level. And there are all sorts of implications to that, all sorts of um, community support and community lack of support for some of these initiatives. And it's important to see that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And just the importance of engaging with owners like you and that being a collaborative process with as well community-based organizations and stakeholders in order to assess what what is the strategy that is best for that jurisdiction and that community. So what do you look for in an, in a planning team, in subject matter experts, in architects that you choose uh, to go that you choose to build these projects that you have uh, that you've developed a plan for. Well, so first of all, I want to reiterate that you know my de- bureau, my department, we're a service bureau. Um, we're not going to go to the office of the chief judge and say, "Hey, you should restart your court system." That's not our role. Um, the juvenile court system, which is kind of a parallel universe in our case, um, they have had discussions about centralization and decentralization. But that's a judicial function. That's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not our place to go and say, oh, it'd be so much nicer if you had a whole bunch of smaller. That's not us. That's not us. Mm-hmm. That's, but, um, now, that, that said, our, part of our job is to have those users understand that we're there as willing partners, that if they have visions and they have drives, and we, we every year sit down with the leadership. You know, it's not the chief of staff for the clerk of the circuit court. It's the clerk of the circuit court, right? We want to hear their vision. You know, are you going to change as you evolve from paper to electronics in the clerk's office? How can where you do what you do help what you do? We want to hear that kind of stuff. But it's all in response to what the users are wanting. And so when we get architects involved in the situation, um, at that point, generally, um, you know, those sort of systemic level decisions have been made. Now that's not to say that a design team can't come in and say, you know, there's this other thing, have you considered this? And we would, you know, facilitate them, you know, making our users aware of other options that they might have considered. Um, But that's gonna be, you know, more of a supportive role to what the, you know, what the agency feels is its best mission to do. Um, But yeah, in terms of bringing, as from bringing the architects in, we, these days, Almost without exception, we do exclusively qualifications-based selections. We don't do RFPs anymore. Okay. We only do RFQs. And so um, we put out a call and we say, you know, we want the most, in the case of the ADA projects, right? <clears throat> you know, what's the, tell us why you're the most qualified firm to do this. We identify the most qualified firm or team and then negotiate the fees with them based on the level of effort, come to agreement, and then that's that. Um, we do that for a couple of reasons. One is um, we end up getting a better product out the other side. You know, we don't get people, some people accuse government, certainly Cook County and others in the city of Chicago uh, of, you know, sort of working with the usual suspects. Well, we want to set up a process where people who are going to be the best for the needs of that project can come forward. So maybe it's somebody that hasn't necessarily done some of the things before. I mean, in a lot of cases, it's not rocket science. We want somebody who is who is creative, who is open to um, uh, bringing new solutions, um, who has the professional acumen demonstrated, you know, yeah, we can deliver things on time and budget. 
Um, but so we, we aren't just necessarily going to the same, you know, six firms or whatever all the time. Um, so that's one reason. The second reason is a lot of our stuff, or more of our stuff these days, is becoming eligible for federal support. And the, it just makes it easier from the federal standpoint if you're procuring for construction. If the design services have been procured on a qualifications-based process, then it, you know, there's, there's some, some grant structures from the federal side, you know, you have to have that. If you, if you haven't done a qualifications-based selection, then, you, then the government won't, the federal government won't participate in funding that. Um, we've, we tended to operate on our own with our own funds, but we're more and more seeking uh, other sources, and particularly in this climate where the federal government is looking to, you know, upgrade the civic infrastructure across the board. We want to make sure we're able to, to capitalize on that. Um, so we, we, we try to give our architects and designers the, the opportunity to show us why they're the best choice. And then when, and we have a strict process. We put in the RQ, here's how we're going to evaluate you. Here's the criteria we're going to use. Here's how we're going to score this thing. Here's what happens after we pick somebody. We put all that in the RFQ, and then it's just a process. And we get the people that are directly involved to review the submittals, score them, and then we, like I said, we start negotiations with whichever the highest ranking team it turns out to be. One thing that I really respect about you is that while you are very much a nuts and bolts guy and you understand the nuances of everything that we've spoken about, you have a vision. You're not just a nuts and bolts guy and you care a lot about your community. You care a lot about reforming justice. What is your superordinate goal for Cook County? What do you care about? with the justice-involved population and the broader community. If, if you could have justice your way, mm. <laughs> what would you see? Okay, so here's where I'm dropping out of, I'm a Cook County employee part and speaking just for Eric Davis. Correct, this <laughs> so is Eric most, Davis. Most of what I've been, yeah, most of what I've been talking about is simply just documenting things that quite frankly we publish every year. And in fact, the new one just came out that explains pretty much everything I just talked to you about. Um, it's available online. So my goal, personally for, uh, let's take the, the Cook County Jail, or, or the court system really, um, is for our justice system to refocus on making people's lives better. Um, if anybody's spent any time in places like Cook County Jail, the, the jail that we inherited, that we, by, by we I mean the team I'm working with, which is amazing, and, and that our board president, President Brackwickle, inherited is sad. It just drips sadness. And, and so people that are detained there, for the most part, have already had the worst day in their lives. So I hope for, want to work for a justice system where you come there and the response is, okay, this has happened. You know, their society has certain things that they need to accomplish. Um, in which cases, some cases, is simply separating you from society because they want people to need to be separated from society. But um, having it be a place of, and I would say, transforming it from a place of pain and punishment to a piece of place of healing and, and redemption. Uh, so it's it's very much a transformational dream that I personally have, and I know there are plenty of others involved who feel the same way. But I'm just talking for me is to make them transformative, making the justice system. In, at least, let's say, in a, in a court's standpoint, um, a place where fairness is sought. And the people dedicate their lives to that. I'm, I'm not meaning to say that they don't. But the more that we can do to 
help people work through very difficult situations in, in, play, in, in, a, in a, an environment of equity, in an environment of dignity. Um, I think it's very important. The chief judge talks all the time about the need to be realizing that people are presumed innocent and treated as if they're presumed innocent. So I don't want our, the environments that we're in charge of to be, you've already started being punished. And right now, unfortunately, many of those elements are. Um, now, you have to keep people secure because, sorry, you have to wait to be tried and figure out whether you did what the state attorney says that you did. Um, but, but they need to be treated with, with dignity and fairness um, and in ways that can help turn them around. And honestly, it's a, it's a financial argument also. Um, you know, cutting, making a dramatic impact on recidivism is less expensive, right? It saves enormous amounts of money and and you know it gets people say oh they just you know you're siding with the criminals like no I don't want to pay so much money for this I want people I want the, I want that person who otherwise would be sitting in jail or prison to turn around and be able to become contributing members of society again and and feel invested in the society and not wanting to hurt the society participate and you know be a force for good rather than just taking out their frustrations and pain on people and by reoffending um so yeah, I, I think it's there's I think personally I think there's an economic argument for the, the whole enterprise too. It's just cheaper. And fortunately, at least in Illinois, um, you know, both parties have recognized that that kind of reform, um, you know, is better, is less expensive, um, than than the alternative. Um, but we just have to find a way to get there. And and I think the way to get there involves getting as many different stakeholders as possible involved. Like we had. Um, a psychologist from, uh, from, from Cook County, from the Cook County Sheriff's Office here, come and talk about what she's doing with Community Resource Center and, and enhanced visitation, the need to say, let's find ways for as many people as is feasible and reasonable have contact with, physical contact with their family while they're incarcerated. Okay, gosh, because that helps people feel better and they don't get so stressed and they don't act up as much and they feel a reason to, to leave and come, and come back home. And, and you know, so there's, it, it's, the more we can bring more voices like that to the conversation, the more we can get to the kind of transformation that I, you know, that I'm I'm working for. Um, in the meantime, we got to keep the lights on. We got to try and make the energy bills as low as possible. We got to keep the the locks have to work, and the, you know, we have to do all that stuff. And the roofs need to not, not leak. We need to do all that stuff at the same time as well. So. Well, thank you. I think we have to eat lunch and get to our next event. <laughs> I really appreciate yes. you doing this snippet with me. Um, I yeah. hope that we can do you know, a more full and thorough episode soon, but I do appreciate your time, Eric. Thank sure. you so much. Well, thanks, Eric.